Chalotiu. It's Sean Keaveney. Uh, what do you mean, who? Uh, the guy who does the lineup. It's not just me here, though. Say hello to my little friend. That, my friends, it, no, it's not a machine gun, but it is my weapon of choice at gigs, not that I've played in it for a while. This is a Fender American Vintage 2 1957 reissue Strat. This is a devastating piece of hardware, let me tell you that. A beautiful Fender tone machine. Gorgeous. As close to the 1957 original as you can get without building a time machine. Yes, it's got a tremolo bridge, naturally. I don't know what it was that drew me into this particular model. Perhaps it was the alluring, shimmery seafoam green that, that got me to begin with. Let me just hold it up to the mic. All that gorgeous, yellowing, nitrocellulose maple, the V-shaped neck. I don't know what it is. It's hard to say what got me, but once you plug it in, it pops. It's spectacular. I can only apologise to my family and to my neighbours for my indelicate volumes. Still, if you, if you can, you've got to do what makes you happy, haven't you? That's what I say. Head to fender.com forward slash the lineup to learn more about this. Incredible instrument. And I tell you what, it's not even plugged in. It, it would be more incredible in a more incredible player's hands. That is fair to say. I mean, you know, Sean, we need, we need a, a proper long summit. I definitely need it. My soul needs it. Tell me when we're recording. When the tape's rolling, we're doing this on analogue, uh, just for the full warm uh, Ampex experience. <laughs> Quarter inch. Two, two, two. Just what is it that you want to do? You got it. Come on. Here we go. You know, building a music playlist is hard enough, let alone the perfect festival. How are you guys doing? But that is exactly what we've asked some of the most fantastic and interesting people I know to do. And the result... One. It's all lols, backstage festivals, goss and ridiculously good music recommendations from this point on, really. I'm Sean Keaveney, your host, and give it up for the lineup. I've heard from the family that you would leave me where all the guitars were. And she was like, that's right. And then she'd go off with my sister and, and know that I'd be just stood there. Different times yeah, then, John. Of course Different, different times. Thank you. Uh, I've introduced this man before on other broadcast platforms and mediums. This is, it's a hard job, this. What, what does one say that one hasn't already? Yes, The Smiths. Yes, Electronic. Yes, the movie soundtrack work with Eilish and Zimmer. Yes, hundreds of insanely effective collaborations from Modest Mouse to The Pretenders to The Cribs, Beck, Billy Bragg, Blondie, Crowded House, The Pet Shop Boys, Talking Heads, yada, yada, yada. Come on, Sean, make an effort. Okay, he's foremost a great person. A guiding light, a mensch, a sensei, a carer, a sharer, a disseminator of the light of life, a sartorial person, never adversarial, deployer of heaven's wind chimes, arpeggiator of sublime chords, guitar spellcaster, master of his own hair. He's had four solo LPs and his latest, Fever Dreams, parts one to four, is brimming with beauties. It's a double album. He's always happy to pass on his great knowledge of a life lived in music, which is what I will be expecting from Johnny Marr. Hi, Sean. How are you doing? I was wondering whether you were going to mention my hair. <laughs> I thought, I, honestly, you, you've really got it down. You're brilliant. I can't. I, you know, it, it, these are, it's a box covered. tick exercise in that introduction. <laughs> you've got to get around all that stuff. And Thanks I think very I've done much. It. Thanks very much. Um, and I mean, you know, I mean, obviously I apologise, but I make no apologies for that. 
uh, right at the beginning of the podcast, I'm talking to one of the guitar greats. It's two guitar greats talking to each other. Um, <laughs> arguably, you are on a slightly higher mantle than I am. But so if we do stray into, Natalie's already told me off about this. She's already raised a finger and gone, don't go too guitar-y. But that's going to be impossible, I think. If we do stray into that territory, it's, it's going to happen, isn't it? Yeah, I'm feeling it. You know, it's got to be ourselves. Be free, Sean. Just fly. Just fly. That's when you're at your best, my friend. We're actually, as the, as the crow flies, we're about 10 minutes away from Denmark Street. And it's not the guitar centre that it was, thanks to horrendous redevelopment. But it's you can still walk down Denmark Street and see some beautiful things, can't you? When was the last time you treated yourself to anything new? Uh, you probably get sent everything, I would imagine. No, do you but- know what? No, I, I, I treated myself to something new a few weeks ago, actually, funny enough. Funny you should say that. And it was, and it was a real kind of consideration... A friend of mine he used to tech for me. He's he's a bit of a Jedi with finding really great instruments, and he knows what I like. And I'm not always buying guitars, you know. What I mean, thing with me with guitars, I spend a lot of time on Denmark Street back in the day, when the Smiths first started taking off. You know, that's what I did when I made a bit of dough. I, I would buy guitars, and I would go to Compendium Books in Camden, and you know, sunglasses stuff like that, <laughs> of course. But back then, the guitars. It was quite unusual, really, to buy old guitars. I can tell you, in a, well, certainly from, for to be a, a young musician, they were just called old guitars, and yeah. they weren't vintage. They weren't vintage, guitars. yeah. No, no, they weren't. And in some cases, they were well, they were a lot cheaper. And I, I actually remember that of my own age group, there was Roddy Frame from Aztec Camera. He, you know, seen with an old Gretsch, and you see, Robin Guthrie from the Cocktails. He used to be. He was one of the first sort of jag guys, and then. I want to say Edwin Collins, but aside from that, that was it. It wasn't like the culture we've got now. So back then, you know, when we when we were doing well, if we had a hit or whatever, I'd tr- treat myself to a guitar. But these days, you know, getting older and different sort of considerations, they're just being really blessed with having, you know, being so lucky to have, have go through all of that. Mm. I'm not someone who buys and sells and moves them around. There are other musicians who do that. If I get one, I get I have to get obsessed with it beforehand. So anyway. I'm just, this is all my justification for, <laughs> for spending a lot of money a, a few weeks ago. No, uh, it is the lineup. It's not some kind of, you know, Gibson or Fender Expo uh, podcast. It isn't. Other guitars are available. Uh, it is a fantasy festival podcast. So we've got to get to business to, at some point. So what I'm going to need, I think you know, is five artists, living or dead. It has to be said, though, uh, that various people, including Stephen Wilson from Porcupine Tree, have ridden absolute roughshod over this format. So if you want to add, subtract, do collaborations, beam people in from outer space, yeah. it doesn't really matter. Uh, first up, though, we need to place it somewhere geographically. I was thinking about this the other day, okay, and I was saying, oh, these places around the world, there's, there's when I've been asked about my favourite gig, I normally sort of go to a place called the Santa Barbara Bowl, which is as nice as it sounds, really. <laughs> right? Like the, the Hollywood Bowl. It's Yeah, but, but it's less commercial. It's When you get off the bus and you play Santa Barbara Bowl, you get there and there's a beautiful, warm Santa Ana wind that blows in your face. I've never walked in a door, it's just an open kind of entrance and you go back there and you can smell kind of um so there's jasmine in the air at being californian and you know there's a there's a sort of ambience about it and you go in there and there's pictures of stevie nicks 
and Tom Petty and um, all the Californian bands. And then you go out into the arena and it's, it is just a natural amphitheater and there's, you know, orange trees. It's, you know, it's great. You sort of go, I am in, I've, yeah. I have, I'm in Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's 1976. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought of those, I was thinking, no, okay, I'm trying to think of some unusual places. This was when I got up one morning at my house last week. And I, so this was on my mind and I opened my curtains yeah. in my house and I've got a balcony yeah. in my bedroom that looks out onto about 25 acres of this, what we call, what's known as Wendy's Field. Because <laughs> our friend Wendy, she t takes rescue horses in and she has these horses on this field outside my window. Wow. And um, I just went, I'll, I'll just do it here. <gasps> this is amazing. So it, we're eschewing right Santa Barbara Bowl for Wendy's Field. What you've actually, you, you, you've aped to some degree unwittingly, uh, Ricky Gervais, who I think he said, oh, I'll just have it virtually where I stand at the front of the house. I'll just have it gate things off. So it's a similar thing, isn't it? You don't, you, you can roll out of bed and just unlike, hit the stage. Unlike Ricky Gervais, who I believe, I heard that one. So he, he was saying though, but because it's down the road from his house, he would have to stop all these ne'er-do-wells hanging out. I think that's what he was going on about. I actually was like, a bit of a hippie I went oh right because it's at my house I can just have loads of people in you'd be one Sean you know that it's like a colossal commune is what we're basically starting here yeah 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 yeah. yeah. a lot of them won't go home you realise that that's fine <laughs> so so I'm assuming that everyone who does this lineup, but it's always a nice day obviously naturally of course And uh, unless you dial it up otherwise some people do like drizzle <laughs> my mate Kev loves drizzle it's his, it's his favourite kind of weather he's from Colne that's because I was in the Smiths and you're saying that. Is that why you're saying that? I, it's always, I've, I've had it for 40 years. the cat years. fits. I've had it. No, so I'd sit, on, I'd sit in my house uh, or go on the balcony with my pals and, and watch this, this day unfold. That's great. Be, be with me. Wendy's Field. Yeah. That could almost, the next thing we have to do is, is to name the festival. And Wendy's Field Festival sounds absolutely brilliant, actually. It is, I know. Although, it's hard, you know, because I was thinking... Try to come up with a name for it this morning. And Madness have got Madstock, haven't they? Yeah. So could I have Marstock? Would that work? Would Marstock work? Looking at Nat. She thinks it would work. Uh, do you know how, how about... Marstock. Um, also, there's like... Could have li Live on Mars, couldn't you? Underneath oh, it? you could that have work. that. I mean, we've already... We've all, also got... Um, but you're better at this stuff than me. Please, usually. please, let Mar get what he wants. That's one of... Uh, that's Natalie's that. I blame Nat for that one. Yeah. Um, I think that any of those would do nicely, actually, to be completely honest. So, so, <laughs> so, so this is great. Check one. Testing. Is everybody ready yet? We good? The first act is going to go on quite soon, and the sun is only just peeking over the hills of Cheshire. But just before we get to who the first act is going to be, Let's just find out a little bit more. Let's just dig a little bit deeper. You come from, it feels like a similar background to me, actually. You're, you're sort of Northern English, sort of Irish. You, you, you're second generation, of course. And I think you all share a colossal love of music. But what was that first engagement for you? What was the first moment that you you felt the power of music? House parties, uh, are what seemed like, looking back at three or four times a week, really. Uh, it certainly wasn't confined to uh, a Saturday night. And I think, you know, it's not too romantic 
to say that that's because so my, my parents were very young when they moved to Manchester. Uh, my mum was 17, I think, when I was when, when I was born. She was 17, my dad was 18. And they moved over with their brothers and sisters. So a whole load of them moved over in the very early 60s for work. And they, they loved being in Manchester. But the behaviour was the same as country... Well, they were country people. Yeah. They are from Kildare. And um, it's the same the world over, but particularly in Europe, people who, who live in the country... Ireland or in, you can even say, Eastern Europe even. Mm. they Their entertainment is at home yeah. and they play instruments and they, you know, my mum and dad used to go into Manchester and go and see bands a lot and they were really into go and see all the show bands and pop bands and stuff like that. But they, they were just these young people starting families out. Yeah, I was the first born and um, then loads of cousins appeared, all little kids around. And these, as I say, they were young adults and they had music in the houses uh, you know, whether it was a Wednesday night, certainly a Saturday and a Friday night, and, you know, if there was a, obviously weddings and um, christenings and all that coming from a Catholic family, there was, there was a lot of that. So music, they couldn't wait to start going. So if it was a if it was a party for, like, you know, me or one of my cousins getting christened or whatever, first all the communion, the music started at three in the afternoon yeah. and the drinking started at <laughs> 12. <laughs> Which was great. These young adults who were pretty wild and absolutely bananas about music. So that that's where my engagement with music came. Seeing, watch, not only hearing the music, but watching the behaviour and yeah. the way it just sort of like went off. It freed people, didn't it? So, but was it? Were they playing records on a dance set? Or were they also, you know, singing? Uh, both. Playing, you're doing a bit of both. Both. Really, yeah, performing so as well. So you can see live were, performances here. Re, yeah, and the ha records were going, and then my aunt is. All of them were singers, and then and so there was accordions. That was as traditional as it got. But the, the accordion playing was pretty serious, pretty full on. So a few of them played accordions, and my uncle Christie played had an acoustic guitar, and it was a mixture of wasn't it wasn't rebel political Irish songs. It was kind of country western songs, and then they put on these you know those sort of sixties Elvis records, and but generally as well. Uh, aside from that, my normal daytime thing was my mum just being obsessed with the radio and playing the radio. I mean, she's like that now. Yeah. If I go and see my parents, she'll be showing me stuff on YouTube. Obsessive about music. And it's been mentioned before, but you were, you used to get babysat by guitars, didn't you? Didn't you used to get left in front of guitar shop windows sometimes? That was in shops. Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, I had to check this because it was coming up in interviews and I thought, you know what? I, I, I said, oh, <laughs> Is this apocryphal? I better ask her just in case she's not cool with this. So I said, you know like, this thing about me, this family fable about me uh, going into a de also a department store, no less, in the 60s, right? A few department stores. And that, you know, this thing that I've heard from the family that you would leave me in where all the guitars were. Uh, and she was like, "That's right." And then she'd go off to, with my sister and to get and know that I'd be, but I'd be just stood there. I said, well, "Is that right?" You know, she's yeah, that's right. Different times yeah, then, John. Of course, different, they different were. times. But she pointed out. She said, "But she it wasn't just the guitars." She said, "You're obsessed with amps as well." Of course, amps. So I was like, God, tweedy little fenders and all that. How old was I? She was like five. What I wanted to ask off the back of that was, is there a world in which is there a parallel universe in which Johnny Marr isn't Johnny Marr guitar? 
Could it have been a Fender Rhodes? Is it possible that you could have been nudged down a different road, played play the drums, for instance? I've heard you talk about you can play the drums, but you don't like it. It doesn't look right. It doesn't feel right, in a sense. No, but- me behind the drums is like, if you can picture Elton John with the bass. <laughs> It's weirder than it that. It ain't going to work, No, it's it? not right, is it? Yeah, I did it once. I think it was with Neil Finn, and I think one of his sons came up to me and just said, get off. <laughs> it's like the time-space continuum's all off. Everything's not right. It's like we've got two suns in the sky. <laughs> it's all a bit weird. So you, no, what you're telling me is it was is always no going to be the guitar, wasn't it? Always. It, yeah. was, the, it was the guitar first. I have no idea about why I was so drawn to this thing because I had my first one when I was five, this little toy thing. So then, I mean, I think, you know, maybe it was something to do with, the, with you know, what we're talking about with the behaviour of the adults. But I, I, don't, I think that was before I even knew about my Uncle Christian and Acoustic. I just was drawn to this yeah. little thing, you know, like... Yeah. It's so odd, isn't it? It's such a, and we'll get more cosmic as the time progresses. So I'll oh, park, will. I'll park the cosmicness, and we'll come back. We'll, that will circle back round. So okay, a bit of background we've had, but we're back in your essentially your back garden now. The small crowd is gathering of like minds at Wendy's Field. It's pretty big, the field, Sean. Is it? Yeah, How many people do you think we can get in there? Uh, I mean, as, as, as spectators, as audience. I'd say about 15,000. Wow, Christ. Brilliant. Yeah, okay. it's like one of the small Glasgow fields. Oh, brilliant. Okay, yeah. so imagine that, people. And we are about to usher on, just at the break of dawn, virtually, the first act. The first act is going to be Bonobo, who, when they first... Well, it's uh, Simon Green, isn't it? It goes under the name of Bonobo. And, uh, it's, you know, he's one of those artists that... Uh, I'll hear a track... You know, every few years I'll, I'll, I'll hear a sort of ambient-y kind of... I, I think it's doing Bonobo a disservice to... When they first came out, I think people were calling him Chill Out and all yeah. of that. They've been around a while now. But anyway, you know, indie rock it ain't. And I'll hear, I'll hear a track and I'll go, you know, Shazam it these days. I'll be like, what's that? Of course it's Bonobo. Mm. It's one of those bands that when they put stuff out, there's a few bands like that. I kind of go, oh, yeah, this is great. What's this? And, oh, yeah, it's them. So I've liked them over the years, really, since they first came out. But in this context, I was thinking, well, I like the idea of this scenario we've got going, that it starts, like, on a beatific, beautific. Mm, beatific, yeah. Beatific, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're starting the day off with this warm, hazy, you know, British summertime beatific vibe. Because some people might go, oh, Bonobo, they're more like a festival closer. But for me, it's not. It's sort of warming everybody up with the, this kind of vaguely new agey, certainly yeah. modern, orally beautiful. Yeah. And also some of the stuff's got, you know, it's got great beats in it. So off they go, you know, like, and bringing this kind of hazy, honey haze it's to, like, the, to the proceedings. It's it's like this, the, the, the soundtrack to, to, to Flowers, the buds opening up into, you know, the, the sort of, the, the, the awakening of spring <laughs> into summer. I can I can definitely imagine that, the soundtrack to those kind of things. It's beatific, <laughs> it's bucolic as well. I get all that. It's a beautiful start. And I like the fact you've you've given it a, a little bit, an extra layer of thought because you can do this any which way you like. Some people just like to kick straight in with something inappropriately loud at this time of the morning. Yeah. But it is it is also nice to be tickled in, to be ushered into the musical experience. Yeah, it? yeah. And also, you know, so children are around as well, right, at this point. You yeah, know, can, yeah. Uh, they have some good tunes, Bonobo, and they have definitely, and they have good beats, but 
you're pulled into a world, I think, and it's also quite modern as well, which I think gives it some balance because of what's about to come, I think. <laughs> Tantalise. Yeah. Teasing uh, us with what's about to come yeah. on the on the. I'm a fan list. of it. I'm, I'm, I always like Bonobo stuff, yeah. When you listen to a lot of your music, especially the last... Um, few records I find it quite arresting that production wise and I know you're extremely involved at that level as well there is a, a, a great there is a greatly modern element to it as well it's not just oh th- these this is classic guitar music or this is indie music there's a dance element it always feels like to me I mean I, I, I realise how much of a fucking granddad I sound as a 50 year old man no. when I say there's a dance element no, okay, to it I know what you're saying but yeah. you know the, the, there is a beaty element to a lot of the music that you make as well and the, so that it feels like sequencing and programming is part yeah, of what you well, do I think as well it's, a, it's kind of deliberate that it's not a, it's not a, a, an attempt to stay relevant or stay modern what it is is that it's I feel sort of almost like a duty to keep the guitar as modern in a, as modern context as I can because it's very easy to if to switch off and find yourself being just too just too uh, reverential to the past because obviously guitar music guitar rock established itself very firmly in the 60s and 70s uh and um and you know amazing i can listen to you know i can see for miles by the who you sort of listen to that and you go gee oh hendrix and you go oh god you know i mean it, that's the best way to say it but it is 50 years later, and at the same time, one of the things that really absolutely inspired me as a youngster was the sound of glam rock and people like, say, Sparks, who are still doing it, this talent big enough for the both of us. And it sounded so wide awake and modern, and there was something cutting edge about that. Okay, well, it's all relative. So I want to I, I want to have that sort of sense of modernity. Yeah. I want to try and keep that sense of modernity because it's very easy to sort of... It, fall back into a sort of old tropes if you're not yeah. careful with the guitar you know if i hear an old blues record if i hear howling wolf particularly and he was funny enough howling wolf and john lee hooker were big touchstones for me when in the smiths tandem i mean we didn't make that kind of music but i was listening to a lot of that a lot of people would be surprised at that that sort of the hoarier blues elements but that still fed into the, the yeah influence. it was i think because i, I was uh, i was looking back then to sort yeah. of try and to, but so I've got no problem with that. Uh, I, I like it for what it is, but um, I don't know. I just think guitar culture, look, one of the things that excited me when I was a school leaver was the opportunity to take guitar into the future. Yeah. And and that's what I I think I recognise that with in Will Sargent from Echo and the Bunny oh, yeah. for example, or John McGeoch from Magazine. Yeah. Uh, I, I think Robert Smith doesn't get enough credit for what he did on the guitar you know like a forest was a real game changer i think so there was a my generation of musicians we had this idea of after punk of going forward of going and that's a very you know this idea of all the great stuff that was happening it's building on that and trying to make it futuristic guitar culture plus futurism is a great equation for me so that's that's why i have my record i try and make my record sound like uh yeah, modern really. And you do, you succeed as a aforementioned, you know, sort of quasi-guitar legend myself. I often understand what's going on. I, I don't, I love being confused by production. I, that's why I do love listening to a sort of dancier or more hip-hop sort of produced music because I don't understand how they're doing it. Uh, uh, but sometimes I get that with your records or sometimes, sometimes you play a, a lick or a riff or 
And I'm like, how the f- is he getting that noise? You know, it's, yeah. so he definitely is. You are nudging things forward. And and it's right, you're right, I think, in what you're saying. We, we recently talked to Paul Banks of Interpol, who's a colossal hip-hop head. He, he sort of prefers that to, if anything, to rock music. And he was, he was kind of uh, proselytising about how amazing it is, you know, hip hop production. And, and that's why it's kind of taken over the world in a sense. And it, yeah, it is, you're right. It's a, it's an unusual point at the sort of in history, isn't it? For the guitar. It's like, yeah, I suppose it has to adapt to yeah. move forward, doesn't it? It does. Well, also as well, there's a thing actually that I'm, I'm happy to say I, I don't analyze too much, which is that, um, I, I like technology. Yeah. You know, I find it particularly because I've been around a long time, guitar technology, where me and my band, we utilise that a lot. My own band, we have this thing where we're right down the middle. We are, we're into modern technology, but we also act like gorilla. So when we turn up at a festival, we have very, very little gear. It's mm. one of the reasons why I use... See, I could use 12 guitars yeah. in the Smiths with all the tunings and because I was you know, I was younger and I was excited about my new Strat and all that, I would use all these different yeah. guitars. But it's a very deliberate thing with me to just try and use the one guitar these yeah, days. Yeah. I like the idea of being kind of gorilla uh, <laughs> at, at the same time utilising modern technology. So the pedals I use and everything are real cutting edge, yeah. whereas some people might other guitar players come to a festival and look at what I use and expect this sort of sea of brilliant old boutique pedals. Now, I use those in the studio. You've been yeah. to my, my studio. Yeah. I have, you know, it's like all these old stuff. But um, I'm in a, let's put it this way. When I was in the, the because of the, the rollout in that band, I had this, this rack of equipment and, and it weighed a ton. I had to two of them. Amazing, it was like a studio rack, and I, I started. I call that producing with my feet. Yeah, I thought, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> exactly. I could do that stuff. Well, now it amazes me that thirty years later, that amount of stuff I can fit in this one little pedal that goes in my bag. <laughs> it's nuts. So I, so that's one of the benefits of being an older person. Yeah. I kind of love the the benefits of technology. Don't get me wrong, I'm never going to plug my guitar into my phone and think that's okay. <laughs> you know, I do have... So I think I've got a balance between fetishizing and absolutely love of 50s and 60s stuff, but utilising the, the modern age, I think. Back to the future. Wow. That's what we're talking about here. Ah. Um, before uh, <laughs> Nat comes in and hits me with a ruler, I'm going to temporarily uh, move away from guitars before we come back to it, of course. That's an inevitability. That was a good app, wasn't it? If I do say so myself, a classic, some might say, be so bold. Uh, very much like the Fender American Vintage 2 57 reissue Stratocaster that I've got nestling on my knee as we speak. I didn't have to read that because I'm obsessed with Fenders. This is the Seafoam green one with the V maple, shallow maple neck, nitrocellulose finish. Looks like it's come straight off Leo's workbench in 1957. Couldn't get it better with a time machine, as I've said. Every time I pick it up. Honestly, it does. It inspires me to create. Much to the chagrin of my wife. I've re- I, look, this song's just tumbled out of me. Listen to this. Fender, the Telecaster, the Stratocaster. You are the master of guitars. 
and whammy bars. Yes, you are. Bless. As you might notice, it's not. It's not even plugged in. Wait till you hear what it can do when it's plugged in to an amp. It's not plugged in because my amp's very heavy and it's downstairs and I'm in the top room. They are just spectacular things, things of great beauty for people with taste and discernment. So you can hear the guitar in action at fender.com forward slash the lineup. Check it out, check them out, and check out the streaming services over the next few weeks to see how far up the charts my Fender Telecaster Stratocaster song goes. What? Just turn it down, I've not plugged it in. <sighs> if I Bonobo hit the ground running, you know, children sort of scrabbling about eating toast whilst the sun sort of comes up and it's getting sort of to mid-morning now um, and we're looking <laughs> to introduce onto the stage at Wendy's Field uh, the second act. Okay, it's going to really kick off now. It's going to... It's Franz Ferdinand. Hey! Oh, well, I woke up tonight, I said I... Exactly. Oh, well, I, I will say that back in the, the dark old days, the brilliant dark old days of, of me habitually uh, DJing at places like Brixton Academy and stuff for my old radio station, it, it was always... It was, it was in that very era, 2004, 2005. You drop a Franz Ferdinand and the place goes off. So you're absolutely right. <laughs> What's, tell me about your experience of, I, I guess you've hung out with Capranos and the boys and yeah, you played with them, but you yeah, know, yeah. what is it about their sound that lights it up? As soon you? as they came out with the first album, I thought, I think I know what they're going for. I really think I know what I'm going for. And I detected, it didn't surprise me that they collaborated with Sparks. And when me and Alex got to know each other and all, all the band, I discovered that what I hoped that they were, they were doing was exactly right, mm. you know. I love that they were unashamedly artistic, you know, art rock. They were just energy, very witty. Yeah. Very, very witty. They just looked like they really made an effort, you know, that they put thought into their appearance, their presentation. I like bands that um, happen to be brilliant, but also just happen to have, an, have a manifesto Yeah, as that's well. a good word. Because that you could certainly say that for a lot of the people that you've worked with. I think the Cribs are like that. I think that they're, they're like that. Obviously, the Smiths were like yeah. that. It's like we believe in something. We have a, a direction. We there are things that are in. There are things that are out of our of our frame of reference. It 100%, feels like that. Yeah. yeah. If I was hearing trip hop loops, if a tra Franz Ferdinand track started and I heard a trip hop loop or something, I'd, I'd be like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> or if one of them was wearing cargo pants. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be straight on. I am text, texting Alex like, um, you know, you're just not going to get that. They, you know, they're um, uh, and that the important thing though is that they deliver. You know, even on um, I listened to recently. They listened to the the, the uh, hits to the head best of. I was like, guys, it'd be 20 God. years since this band yeah. had been out, and uh, I had to text Alex because I was I was I was listening to it in the car and um, right thoughts, right words, right action came yes. on, and. It was so good, it actually made me laugh out loud, right? <laughs> yeah, I know exactly that. It's a funny emotion, that, isn't it? When you hear or see something and it makes you giddy and you can't suppress it. it was, uh, so I pulled the car over to the side of the road <laughs> and I great. thought, I'm going to text Alex right now and tell him this. I genuinely meant it. Because when occasionally when other musicians, I, I get sometimes I get texts from people 
that you haven't heard of from ages and so I've just been listening to such and such a track and you just think oh it's so great you know it's not just an ego thing you're just like really pleased that someone you really you know you respect is listening to your stuff so yeah. um, I like that they've stuck to the guns I think the new stuff I enjoy it just as much as the, the, the early stuff for all the same reasons the energy you know the riffs are great and there's something about when they came out would have been 2004 I think they, they was they were a big deal, weren't they? You know, they were. They, it was sort of. Yeah. They did it so. It, I think Alex was a little bit older as well, wasn't he? He wasn't like some twenty-two-year-old kid. He was a little bit more mature and stuff. Well, I tell you, in that this is going to sound very odd, but um, in that regard, he's like Debbie Harry. Yes. Who, when she came out on on the scene, aside from her beauty, you know, but her, her presence, you know, she was cool because. She wasn't a kid, you know, yeah. and so she had a sense of presence about her. And she lived, and she could pour that into the, the the delivery of the songs and into some of the lyrics as well. And I think that that adds a, a certain extra element to some music, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, and you know, and um, they're a singles band. Blondie were a singles band, and Friends were very much to me a singles band. I, I, and I like when there's a band that I, I really liked that they just. They, they go for ages, they keep going, there's some band members come and go, uh, you know, they change the lineup a little bit. You know, uh, I, I like being a fan of of a, yeah. a, a, of a of current bands. If, if there's someone I really like, I go, I'm going to be a fan of them and I hope that they, they, they just stay to being good. So I, I quite like that, that I've got a band that I'm like still championing. I really get that as well because having spoken to a lot of musicians, you know, some people are definitely cling very strongly to that I'm still a fan of music and I'm still a fan of new music I saw you talking about Goat Girl saying how much you love those guys and yeah. you know or, yeah. or, or we, I, I remember yeah. texting you when um, French Press came out Rolling Blackouts Coastal Fever and I was like Brilliant. it's obviously Johnny's going to love this Brilliant. You know? yeah. but, but going back just momentarily before I forget to Debbie Harry you've played with them a lot this well not just this year I'm sure but you, you've written a song for them My Monster yeah, and I've written another new one for the new, the new current record that re, that they're recording. I mean, I don't know whether it'll end up on the album. You never know. But Chris, they seem to really like it. It's called Spectralize. Yeah. What's it like to hear those guys perform a song of yours? It's a little bit. It feels like it might be a little bit different an experience than like when you were in a band like Modest Mouse. Yeah. It's almost like you're a gun for hire. You've written a song like My Monster, and they've performed it. What's it? Is it? What's it like? <laughs> well, well, do you know it's it's a new level of of wow for me because they're my lyrics, you know. So Debbie's singing my lyrics, and then she <laughs> they wanted another one. So because my monster, I wrote specifically for Blondie, and then um, it and they it, you know it went well. <laughs> so then they asked me if I got any more, so I wrote another one for Blondie. But they took so long recording it, I did it myself. <laughs> I, it was on a B side of a seven inch single. I wasn't about to put it on an album to, just in case. But that's called Spectralize, and it's again, it was one that I specifically wrote for Blondie. So, on a lyrical level, you know that people are covering songs that I write the words to. Yeah. You now, is it, you know that's something I never imagined, really, frankly. I mean, also, let's not forget. Uh, stop me if I'm wrong, but the great love of your life, the wonderful Angie, didn't you? When you first met her, yeah, you were at some party, and Parallel Lines was playing by that's Blondie. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> what I mean was Angela? Yeah. I mean, she must have been like, okay, what? So Debbie's singing your songs now, and we're gonna yeah, go well, watch you play. You know, yeah, well they're mates now. I mean, that always happens with me. Though, it's like when people meet Angie, they sort of like whenever you see me, they, they, they all go, well, is Angie here? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 Johnny. yeah. Okay, okay, but um. Well, I mean, Blondie were like, you know, they, they were everywhere, everywhere. I went when, when you know, when An me and Angie met in 1979 when we were kids. They were everywhere, you know, and and for a number of years as well because after Parallel Lines and it was Eat to the Beat and then with the Auto American and all of that call me and it just kept went on and on and on. And the band, what I was doing then, this is obviously, I was still in school then, but the band that I was in was a simple, we were playing that kind of music ourselves anyway, you know, New Wave mm. or Power Pop, we would, the set I had then, this is why what, what I'm doing now is a bit of a continuation from that because we used to do Do Anything You Want to Do by Eddie and the Hot Rods and we did uh, we did a couple of songs that the Cars did uh, and, and we did Hanging on the Telephone. So I'm sort of from that culture anyway as yeah. a front man. I was doing that when I was just, you know, 15. I was singing those kind of songs. But just as well, it, there's a sensibility there, isn't there? that goes through from the CBGBs in New York, even somebody like the Ramones and television and Blondie, that sort of clean new way of lines, leaving the blues rock behind a little bit. Which is why... Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The next act... Yeah, oh, this is good. ...is Patti Smith. Uh, uh, uh. CBGBs New York scene, mid to late 70s, we're all on the same page. Okay. Oh, we could co-present. Oh, man. Paddy Smith, well, we're incidentally, dear, dear listener, just before I arrived here, it's a very hot day as we're recording it, un 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 ungodly heat out there in Soho. So I went and <laughs> bought myself a bottle of water. Apologies, I forgot to bring my refillable bottle. Two quid, mate, two quid minimum. I thought, oh, Christ, all right, I'll have to buy something else that I don't want. And then I saw a Mojo magazine with Paddy Smith's face on it. I thought, I'll buy that and give it to Johnny. Amazing synchronicity, Isn't it? and a, a lovely gift. I, I haven't got that Patty Smith interview. Why is it two quid minimum? What's that? That well, that annoyed me. I was I was about to remonstrate with the guy uh, and go on a sort of quasi political polemic about you've just made that up from nowhere. Why should it be two pounds? You could you could set it at naught point naught one pence, but I couldn't be bothered because it was too hot. I was wilting. It's, it's from it's because you're from the north, Sean. You think he saw me coming a mile off? Well, he heard you. Well, <laughs> definitely, yeah. Who's this Northern well, Ernie? Yeah, was he a Cockney? Was he a Cockney? I bet he was, <laughs> wasn't he? Well, he was still doing it. But the upside of it is that you've got a free Patty Smith comic, and we're, we're talking about her now. Yeah. So again, why so important to you? What about her? What about which particular in point was it for you? Well, what's happening here is I'm thinking, you know, okay, well after Franz, I think it would be good to have obviously keep the energy up, a great guitar band. But for it to be about a person, you know, it'd be quite nice to, for, you know, when you've got... Because oh, I was thinking Iggy Pop could... Oh, hang on a second. Should you we could, bring in... Yeah. Oh, okay. Well done. Well done. Right, okay. That's Let's the see. guest. So does she do most of her set and then bring Iggy on? Correct. Yeah. Brilliant. All right. We're all happy now. <laughs> and um, so, because then it's about seeing a person, because we all love our performer, don't we, as well? You know, we, we've got, yeah. we're going to have some bands, etc. It's, we've got a personality. I mean, Patty Smith, for me anyway, it's not an exaggeration to say that I had a life-changing moment. I mean, I'm very, very fortunate in my life that I've had not a, many, a number of life-changing moments. Quite unusual in that, um, particularly when I was younger, I had an awareness of, uh, of when something was happening. I was like, 
Yeah. So what is known in psychology is a peak experience. Oh, I didn't, uh, I've never the writer, heard that. The writer, Colin Wilson, yeah, it was first coined, I think, but in a book called Cosmic Consciousness by Dr. I think it's called Richard Book, B-U-C-K-E, Consciousness. I told you we'd get cosmic back to consciousness. Cosmic. It's a very heady, you know, typically. So it's that feeling of being completely outside of yourself and um, something's happening other than like regular consciousness, really. And it's, it's essentially being so happy that you want to burst, you know. It, uh, it's a, like you say, it's an, I'm imagining anyway that it's an awareness when, because a lot of us, and I think I'm very guilty of this and try to be less guilty of it as time goes on. Uh, if when you're in the moment sometimes you can really notice that something seismic's happening that's going to change your path and that and you seize on that and you sort of go this is great i mean i i would mention because you've written so beautifully about it and talked about it you watched a south bank show about Lieber and stoller yeah this the great songwriters yeah and one went round and knocked on the other's door and said, shall we work together? And so you you nicked that idea for you and Morrison. Yeah, the very next day, yeah. I guess another, would you say that's kind of another peak yeah. experience? Well, when I went, I had to get his address first. So when I went back to my neighbourhood, because the backstory is that a few years before that, a couple of older guys I knew had mentioned his name and said, oh, you know, this, I knew that he sang and I needed a singer. So I saw the Lieber and Stoller thing. And then... The next day I went, I thought, oh, I'm, I'm going to get this guy's address. So I went back to my house and then, because my, in my mum and dad's phone book, there was a, the, the name of this guy. So I phoned him and he said, oh, no, I don't know where Stephen Morris is, but so-and-so might do, Pommy. And he lived literally, uh, whatever, 100 metres away from where I was stood. So I went and knocked on his door and he happened to be in. But when he, he went off and, oh, hang on a minute, I've got, his, I've got his address. When he wrote down the address on a piece of paper, it was a... A day not unlike today, scorching hot day. And I had this white piece of paper. When I held that piece of paper, I looked down and that I had that feeling then. Wow. I looked at that address and I went, this is going to be, this is a major moment for me. And a little bit of me went, or oh, it might not be. Yeah. But I was like, I think this is, it felt life-changing, you know. I was so positive that something was going to happen. Anyway, but a couple of years before that, well, funny enough, it was actually the, the real first time Morrison and I met, but we met in really in passing. When I went to see Patti Smith on my own in 1978, I was 14. And um, <laughs> none of my mates would, would, would wanted to pony up for the ticket. We used to always sneak in. I talk about this in my book quite a lot. We used to sneak into the Apollo. Through the toilets, was it? Yeah, through yeah. the window. I yeah. just, just get me in the window and then I'd open the door <laughs> at the back, girls' toilets. I'd open the door and I'd pile in. And we... Because of that, and there's quite a number of usually boys. I think Mark Riley was in the fall. He works yeah. on the radio. He's. I think Mark Radcliffe is another. He he yeah. sort of might have done that, but it was a bit of a thing of culture. You know, I wasn't the yeah. only one. But we used to go. The thing with me and my mates, we were completely indiscriminate. We whoever was on, we would go yeah. right just for something to do. So I saw, I saw more bands that I didn't like than I did yeah. bands I liked. So I saw Barclay James Harvest. I saw Uriah Heep and all these bands I didn't know about. But because I was so into Patty Smith, I, I got a ticket. My mates were like, you know, no. Not I buying so I went on my own. And then I bumped into a couple of older, older lads in the bar. And um, anyway, Morris was with them. But then I went off just to get right at the front. And I stood at the front of the Patty Smith show, the East. So it was when, because the night was a hit. And when she came out with the band, it was like I was, it was like um, 
an invocation, is that yeah. a word? You know, um, it was like I was watching a right at the front of the stage. And I remember really vividly, if you'd imagine like you, I was sort of like, there was a window into another world, literally. I was, what I was watching on the stage was that it, they were in the middle of this sorcery. Yeah. And because she was very into that transcendent thing anyway, uh, William Blake. And um, I mean, I found out about the poets and the, the romantics and uh, Burroughs and all of this stuff from her. Yeah, particularly, I had no idea who William Blake was until I became a Pat Smith fan. So there's a, this sort of feeling of transcendence as well, which actually goes, seeing as we're talking about a festival, an imaginary yeah. festival, so I, I found out about a lot of stuff, as I say, from Pat Smith, and I used to go to the library and stuff that she would mention in um, interviews I would look up. And the interesting thing about festivals, I became an Aldous Huxley fan around about the same time. He talks about transcendence quite a lot. And... Frederick Nietzsche, okay, this is this idea about festivals and us all getting together. Communality. Well, it's actually funny enough, in the perennial philosophy, he talks about the Quakers. The reason the Quakers are called the Quakers is because they used to quake, which was news to me. Did not know that. And their idea was that they used to get together in social gatherings and to get themselves high yeah. and transcend the normal consciousness. They would shake and quake. And that's what, where they got no. the name from. So Huxley on transcendence, he says, humans long to get out of themselves, to pass beyond the limits of that tiny island universe within which every individual finds himself confined. And then he also goes on to say, if we experience, so I think this is a very festival thing, yeah. whether we know it or not. Uh, if we experience an urge to self-transcendence, it's because in some obscure way, we know we really are. We know or to be more accurate, something within us knows that the ground of our individual knowing is identical with the ground of all knowing and all being. When the phenomenal ego transcends itself, the essential self is free to realize the fact of its own eternity. This is liberation. This is enlightenment. This is the beatific vision. The beatific vision again, you see. You don't get that at a Uri Heap gig. Or maybe you do. So this is interesting to me as well because we must then touch on Huxley and heaven and hell and the doors of perception and the idea of obviously one of the ways that he transcended that corporeal, sort of the bounds of the corporeal was to use hallucinogenic drugs and things like that, of course. But And, and you've been no stranger to those paths in the past. But that, you know, what's your connection to that? You know, to be to be a bit cosmic about it for a while... Uh, is there a sort of almost a spiritual or religious element to your life that that makes you connect up all these peak experiences and makes you think something way beyond the human experience is happening? What, yeah. you, what do you think about all that? Well, I, f I used to fall into that quite a lot when I was a, a kid because I, I grew up in a... Um, my mother was very religious uh, and she was a young, a young Irish woman with bringing up two small children with, with not a lot of money around. Um, a very beautiful, intense, clever young woman who was very into religion. So it was around me quite a lot, this idea of um, something other, yeah. something other, something else. And that fed into my sort of natural uh, personality anyway. So, you know, again, so when she would stand me in front of uh, 
she's always standing me in front of bits of equipment and now I think of it and then disappearing. I was quite easy. It was quite low maintenance as a kid because if there was me, if it looked like an amp or a radio, just put me there and she can go away for a couple of hours. But I used to look into the radio when I'd hear the music, a combination of the sound of music and it would, it be in the late 60s when I was a little child and hearing pop music, whether it was Badfinger or the Four Tops, Motown was a big one in our house. I used to look into the radio to stare at the speaker and it was like a portal to another world. The combination of what I was hearing, mm -hmm. so like Reach Out, I'll Be There or Baby I Need Your Loving by the Four Tops or whatever pop music I was goofing out about. Combination out and looking at the radio, it was like a portal to another world. Mm -hmm. It's the only way I can put like it. Like a trance state, you, it seems that you would go into yeah. these situations. Yeah, and, um, and until someone obliges me otherwise or tells me any different... It used to put me into a sort of place that no one's ever really been able to explain or give me an alternative explanation as to why I used to, th I used to think and I've held on to the belief that there is something that is going on beyond, beyond our senses. Tell me otherwise and I'll, I'll get on board. And I, I sort of, I honour that really and I like it and it, it goes into all areas of life, Sean. So, you know, we've all been stood with a mate at the bus stop or in the playground that, 11, 12, 13, 14, and one of your mates brings someone else along and you either go, I've got a good vibe about this yeah, person yeah, yeah. or I've got a bad vibe yeah. about this person before they even open their mouths. Yeah. So stuff like that about the human experience, I mean, even when it's not connected to music, I like that it's a mystery. I mean, I'm a big, I'm a, let's just call it intuition. Yeah. And we can go down, I mean, you know, we can talk for hours and hours about this, but it's been debated since, you know, time immemorial, but... I think um, the celebration to get, you know, is one of the things, I mean, aside from Patti Smith having a rocking band and being, you know, when Horses came out, it changed the music culture that I was into and in the music papers and all my mates and everyone were all, oh, my view, this new album, oh, my God, this is great. And it was rocking and I loved the way she sung. But part of the package as well was this sense of transcendence yeah. and going for something beyond, you know, and... Um, you know, in the context we're talking about here, you know, and again, it's interesting to me that Aldous Huxley described, really, when I read this thing in, in perennial philosophy about the Quakers and about religious gatherings, I thought, okay, he, he's written this in, in the 50s and um, he's describing festivals. Yeah. Music and love, those two concepts are just so unbelievably deep and unfathomable that it does make you sit there and suck your thumb and think, I don't know what it is, but something's going on that I can't work out with my tiny lizard mind, you know? That's right, yeah, yeah. You know, and to get, you know, also the thing with me personally as well, you'll know this, nothing quite having, like having a three-year-old dropping the toast and jam on the floor to sort of keep your feet on the ground, <laughs> eh, Sean? Literally sometimes because the, you know, the tiles are so tacky with all the toast being dropped that you, you can't get your feet off the bastard floor. Um, absolutely, they do that. Patty Smith, amazing. And there we have it. Another vintage by which I mean tremendous lineup brought to you, I'm so proud to say, by Fender's American Vintage 2 guitar range. 
Recreations of the most iconic guitars from the 50s, 60s and 70s, my spiritual home, built to all the original specs. If it's good enough for Pike Smith, just saying. And it's not even plugged in. Imagine what it sounds like when it is. Head to Fender.com forward slash the lineup to learn more.